This week's episode is brought to you by the Avalanche Goalhorn. So nice, we heard it seven times, even though Colorado only scored six times. The cup is so ours. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Seth House, and you're locked into the Mile High Hockey Podcast for October 17th, 2016. Coming up on the show... The Avalanche are undefeated, Joe Colborn in the running for the Rocket, and our first look at the Bednar way at full game speed, but before we play the whoosh, of course, our disembodied voices of the week. Um, joining us after having watched a, uh, a Rampage game that sounded a little bit painful is Earl 6 Hey, Earl. Hello. And joining us after doing I don't know what, and probably better not to ask, is Ryan Murphy. What's going on? Yo. So there's only one game, but a lot did happen in it, so let's dive into it. Avs win 6-5 over the Dallas Goddamn Stars. Joel Colborn comes away with a hat trick in his Avalanche debut. Carl Soderberg with a gorgeous breakaway, and Tyson Berry and Nathan McKinnon also got pucks in. For the bad guys, three of their goals came from Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, and uh, Antti Niemi was chased after giving up five on 20 shots. Not that Varlamov didn't give up five of his own, of course. But this wasn't your standard avalanche win that you've gotten used to, everyone. This was a win giving up only 28 shots on goal, winning the shot battle overall, and crushing the scoring chance battle. I'm excited to see the Avs playing real hockey again. Earl, Ryan, your immediate takeaways. I loved it. I mean, I think, you know, it's too to say whether these were the kind of effects we were expecting or should expect to see for the rest of the season, but it's very promising. Yeah, you saw a lot of high percentage breakout, and it led to at least 10 more shot opportunities than we're used to seeing. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing that persist because I'm not even sure we got the best version of it yet. No. And I think there's more to come as far as what's going to be added onto it in the future. So, Right. Yeah, I mean, I we saw a- lapses in that first period especially. And, uh, you know, especially early on, I think we saw the team kind of get out of its the system it's trying to implement a little bit. And I think it got reined back in. And I'm really excited to see that adjustment. One thing I really noticed was discipline. Um, And that's something that you really didn't associate with the abs over the past couple of years. And it really seemed like, all right, yeah, there were a few breakdowns and whatnot, but it, it really seemed like the guys were disciplined as in you know, being someplace where you would you would want them to be. And you saw it from young players, too. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But uh, it was surprising to me that, you know, you had 21-year-olds out there that, that were performing just as well as the veterans. So this was obviously um, this, the team that Simeon Varlamov has, uh, you know, traditionally owned outright. Um this time, he had a little bit of help. Yeah, we saw a little bit of a market correction as far as the save percentage goes. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> some goals definitely went in. And, uh, you know, a lot of that can be contributed to what was in front of him. Some of it can. I mean, his first game of the season, we'll see uh, definitely aggression to the mean. Yeah, it was, you know, two of those goals, I think the second and the fourth it was, were... You know, a little soft, a little scary, but I, I I didn't get the feeling those were the kind of howlers we were seeing him let in towards the end of last season. You know, it was more of a nerve thing rather than just, I don't know, despair. 
<laughs> especially after uh, you know watching his preseason, and I'm sorry, not watching, listening, but seeing the results <laughs> of the preseason, I think we're okay with one game where he wasn't quite at his best because, quite frankly, he was in every preseason game. So, um, preseason, you know, obviously, you're not going to have an entire top six forward core throwing pucks at you all game long. That's going to be a, a real season thing. Um, right. So, it's there's always a little bit of an extra learning curve to get up to speed there. Um, but we saw really strong efforts out of um, out of some Av skaters who obviously. Also had strong preseasons. Namely, I'm looking at Mikhail Grigorenko, who uh, maybe didn't get on the scoreboard exactly, but he did have five shots on goal. He had a wide open net that he put off the post, um, and was on that uh, that Duchesne line, which consistently was making things happen all game long. Right. Yeah, I really liked his play. Um, it's it's a real change because he wasn't that guy that just shot it you know, as soon as he got it, but he was really looking for shots. And that's something that we were, you know, I, I think all of us were kind of wondering if that's kind of part of his personality. And, you know, if that's something that continues, uh, I mean, that's just fantastic for the team. Right. I mean, they got tough matchups and, you know, he was 59% Corsi four and looked good the entire time. I, I'm a little worried that too many players on that line are looking to facilitate rather than take that shot. But, you know, he did uh, when he needed to, and uh, they didn't go in, but they were good shots. Yeah. Any other forwards that did anything noticeable? <clears throat> well, absolutely. I think Nathan McKinnon looked every bit the player he was in the World Championships, and that was an absolute dominating line, despite the fact that they were carrying around, a, you know, the corpse of Jerome McGinley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that in a little while. Um, yeah. McKinnon and Landeskog, they both had fantastic games. Oh, yeah, that forecheck is really going to be something special to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's just you couldn't see his face the whole time, but I think Landy was smiling the whole game. Mm-hmm. He's back to doing what he's meant to do. Yeah. But then maybe the most quiet forward of all is uh, Joe Colborn, who only scored three goals. I mean, no, nothing too flashy. Take that, Austin Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that was really good to see because that, that's that's kind of something the Avs have been looking for for years is someone that can get those greasy goals that are three feet away from the net. Uh, right. I mean, and, for anybody who didn't see that game and is only looking at the score sheet, we should describe exactly how these goals were performed. And that was right there in the crease. And he did all the hard work necessary to get those in. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was three different kinds of goals. One, it was just hard work in front. The other, I, I mean, the first goal, that was just, you know, as a cluster and a man, you know. It that happened. was hilarious. Yeah, he was just sort of right next to it. Uh, but he was creating that chaos. And the third was a, a really nice tip. So, you know, that, those are the three kinds of goals you want to get from a guy that's going to be parked in front. So, And he did it from the fourth yeah, line, yeah. too. Yeah. And uh, that's not easy to do on most avalanche teams and he managed to pull it off he had his minutes count right well a couple of those came off the power play which we will also get to um but let's uh 
let's as we're talking about individuals, let's jump straight into three up and three down. Who are your uh, three players you were impressed with in a positive way last night? I mean, you have to put Colborn first. Oh yeah. I mean, especially coming off of the preseason where everyone was kind of like, oh man, you know, I mean, not paying this guy a lot, but he's sure not looking too good either. And, you know, obviously he's not going to score three goals every game, but just showing that he can score those goals when you need him to, you know, that's a win. Don't lie to the people. He's going to get three goals every game. Yeah. <laughs> Look, his entire history in a Colorado Avalanche uniform, he's scored three goals a game. Why would he stop now? Yeah, he's on pace. <laughs> Statistically likely. <laughs> well, keep going. Who's your other two? Um, I, I'd have to put Landeskog next just because, I don't know, it, it just seems looking back – he was so oppressed in whatever Patrick was making him do for the past couple of years. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, Oh, he's just, you know, he's, he's not elite anymore. Or, you know, he looked good a couple of years ago, but then he got the concussion and he's no good. Or, you know, he's, he's just a grinder really. And, um, I, I think he showed that he can be a lot more than, than what he's been for the past couple of years. And that's just, you know, that's great to see out of a, a second pick overall. Well, you got one more. I mean, I, I, I guess I'll say, I mean, you, you pretty much have to go with McKinnon just because he was a beast all game. But um, I'd, I'd almost rather put Grigorenko there because I was expecting McKinnon to be like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to put McKinnon first on my list. I mean, he was the best player on the ice, and that includes players like Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, who are some of the best in the entire league. So uh, McKinnon gets my my first vote. That line was absolutely dominating. Um, uh, you know, my second one's going to be a bit of a wild card, but I also like the way Andreas Martinson played. Yeah. And that line, that third line got the toughest draws out of anybody. And I really enjoy the supplementary role that he played, uh, especially on the penalty kill. Yeah, that, that was huge. I mean, we haven't seen him on the PK before, and he actually looked in place there. Yeah. And you know what? I'll, I'll throw Joe Colburn in there, too. I'll be boring. But anytime some guy scores a hat trick in his first game, like he was expected to do, you know, i got to give him props. Yep, Colburn is also in mine, um, as is Grigorenko. I was, I, I was really um, kind of nervous to see a, a big fall-off from him after the preseason because his goal-scoring output was so, like, unprecedented for him. Right. But to see him continuing to do the same things was really encouraging. Um and then to go off the wall and hopefully not sound too much like a Minnesota Wild uh, staffer, um, I was really impressed with the with the atmosphere in the Pepsi Center, with the way the fans showed out. Obviously, it's an eleven goal game, but like it's been kind of flat there for a while. Not to not to belabor the Pepsi pun too much, um, but it was really nice to actually hear the opposing chance getting drowned out and. Uh, they're not being, you know, so much as dead air in in the atmosphere. That the fans really engaged hard, and it even showed through on TV. You didn't have to be there in person to, to to notice that. Yeah. So, shout out to you. You're the real star. <laughs> um, Number one. My three down um, starts from the back end. Simeon Varlamov cannot give up five goals on 28 shots. 
Nope. I'll just go ahead and agree with that. Me too. And you can you can make excuses for individual goals all you want. Um, but when we watched the Worlds, we saw Pekka in goal for Team Finland. And his team would get burned in front of him. He'd have a 2-on-0 and they'd score. His team would get burned in front of him. They'd have a breakaway. They'd score. His team would get burned in front of him. They'd have a 2-on-1. They'd score. Okay, you don't get one of them? Yeah. Like, those are considered 50-50, and you're 0 for 3. And you know what? Even for Sem Varlamov, I'd even give him a better chance than 50-50. Mm-hmm. I think he's one of the better breakaway goalies in the league. So... Need better from him and expect better from him. Um, I was very down on Blake Como. Same here. His, uh, Without question. His, his penalties were useless and unnecessary and unhelpful. And then uh, I saw Francois Boschman getting beat more often than not. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's still going get, to be getting used to that Tyson-Berry pairing. And it's going to take some work for him. Yeah. So those are my three. Right, I would throw the uh, collective Borks in there. I don't think that fourth line was as effective as it could have been, and I would not be surprised to see a Cody McLeod appearance tomorrow night. I don't know. I I thought that Gabriel Bork was really good on the PK. Um, you know, he even created some good chances offensively off the PK. But you're right. I mean. It wasn't what you wanted to see, I guess, but you know, compared to fourth lines of, of past years, it wasn't it wasn't terrible. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I was down on Tootin, and I, I guess I might have been, you know, a lot. A, a lot of other people were fine with his play. I see a lot of things in his game that sort of harken back to guys that that we've gotten rid of recently. That you know, our shot blockers that stay too close to the net, that aren't aggressive or are too passive in the defensive zone. He got better in the third period. Right. Um, but I, it's just, it's troubling when you see a sort of Nate Gannon out there and then everyone else is not being Nate Gannon anymore. So I just, I, I worry about how that's going to integrate with the rest of the team. And the second worry was uh, taking time away from Zadarov. Um you know, I'm not behind the bench. I'm just sitting here in North Carolina, so it's not my decision. But Right. Yeah. I think we should take a minute to uh, make Nikita Zadorov an honorable mention because uh, I think he was uh, superb last night and yeah. exactly the type of player I expected him to be on the top pairing. And yeah. uh, what happened last night in the third period, I, I understand, but I don't necessarily support. I mean, uh, I, I guess you could single him out as being responsible defensively for one of those goals, but uh, otherwise, I mean, he was lights out all game from his spot, and uh, I think he probably deserved those minutes in the third period. Yeah, and it's what what he brought to the pairing with EJ is just something that you know that EJ's not had since he's been in Colorado. I mean, he's had you know responsible partners like Hayda and, and Bosch, but. You know, to have a, a guy that's able to skate and keep up with him, so they're able to sort of play in tandem rather than one guy fast, one guy slow. Um, I think it's just gonna, it's it's sort of gonna multiply their efforts. So, right, and you're seeing those guys who both like to push the play a little bit able to alternate. You know, they're able to adjust to each other as someone's pushing the puck up the ice. Yeah, and I think it's really effective. It's not just coming from one part of the pairing; it can come from either side. 
Yeah, I mean, it, those guys, you know, they're, they're quick enough that they're not going to get turnstiled off. Um, so it, it's nice that they can both make up for each other's mistakes or forwards' mistakes or just, you know, dumb things that happen. So, I mean, I, I think it's really promising that what that pairing brings for the rest of the season. And Eric Johnson had a lot of good moments. He had, I mean, he had a breakaway at one point. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that, that pairing did a lot of work. And I've, I've seen some ideas popping around the internet that uh, it wasn't necessarily the EJ Zadorov pairing getting split up so much as it was splitting up other pairings and trying to shuffle up what was going on down there. Yeah, I, I, I put that out in the game thread last night that maybe it was more separating Tootin away from Weirkosh and, and having EJ play with Tootin because, you know, it just wasn't working. I thought Weirkosh was fine. I've seen some people say they didn't think he had a good game. I, I, I thought he actually played pretty well. That was my impression as well. I yeah. mean, he was not very noticeable to me within that pairing where Tootin was, and that's the difference. Yeah. So shout out to Casey Lucas, shout out to DNFTO who both who asked about Zadorov and EJ. We talked about that as it came up. That was going to be I'd on like my to, list. I'd like to give another honorable mention to, to Soderberg for that goal and general strong play throughout the game. But that I mean that goal was fantastic. I mean you don't really see Carl do that too often, and so again just file that under things you, you hadn't seen before and are glad to see. Yep, I think we still like the signing uh, into year two. Yes. I mean, uh, that's the player that they needed. Yes. And then hopefully by the time he gets claimed to Vegas, he will start to fall off. <laughs> exactly. Um, let's go ahead and look at, uh, we've looked at individual, let's look at the team. Um, what are the biggest differences that we're noticing um, doing things Bedner's way instead of Waz's way. Breakout, obviously, being the thing we've already talked about to death on here. So let's try to toss that one out. <laughs> I mean, everything plays off of that. Really you know, I mean, there have been a lot of statistical studies that show that it's not zone entries that, that make for success offensively. It, it, it all starts with the breakout. So I think being able to play off of that and be able to, to go through the neutral zone with speed, to be able to enter the zone with speed, I, I mean, I, I really think that's where a lot of what we saw last night was coming from, was the ability to you know, get the puck moving fast. And Let's just talk about the initial pass, first and foremost, because I think this is something that a lot of us who didn't get to see preseason are yeah. probably just getting to notice. And that forward help from the initial defenseman pass forward is so much lower than it was last year. It's striking. And our forwards are fast enough to get that puck up from that position. You don't need a 10 to 15 foot advantage, a head start. Yeah. You don't need that. Which didn't stop him from trying a few times. And then obviously on Soderbergh's goal, right. um, Barry found an open man streaking up the ice. Um, yeah, and we're st we still see occasionally the, they'll chip it up into the into the neutral zone. A couple of icings back to back did happen. I think some of that is old habits dying hard, and some of that is you know those things are going to happen. Yeah, they are. It's so not, it's not every time. <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't I don't think you can chalk up a whole lot of it to growing pains. Some of it yes, but not a lot of it. I mean you're you're facing a team that doesn't want to let you do what you're doing. Right. No. 
I mean, let's not pretend like the Dallas Stars didn't, you know, have 109 points last year. I mean, that's a good hockey team where they were last season. And, you know, they're going to adjust too. They're well coached and you're going to have to make adjustments. So that's maybe more a five on five. Um, we saw the Avalanche bring in Eric Parnas on the, in the off season. I probably not how you pronounce his last name, but that's kind of what it looks like. Um, the, the, uh, the dude who, uh, has brought the word Zephyr to a hockey context, which is, uh, kind of the zone entry rate on the power play. So what, what are some differences we've noticed on the power play? You know, first and foremost, I, I think you see players rotating clockwise, counterclockwise. I mean, there seems to be some circular movement that I'm not used to seeing. See, this is an answer that is kind of mirrored with my answer, which is that they move without the puck. Yeah. It's such a basic thing, but to see the power play that they had, which was like trying to find an open passing lane versus trying to give yourself a passing lane that's open, it's really striking. It's faster. Uh, I mean, it really is. I mean, you're not seeing players hold the puck for three seconds, try to force it into the middle, you know, who forces it back outside. You don't see that. I mean, you're seeing players like Joe Colburn go straight to the goal. You're seeing players adjust to that. You're seeing shots get fired off at a much quicker rate. And the entire purpose, to answer your question, Oak, shout out to Professor Oak, is uh, no, the, the whole purpose is not to go from point to Iggy at the Ovechkin spot. Yeah. It can and be. One thing, <laughs> yeah. And one thing I noticed is the, the abs used to use about half of the ice on the power play. Um, right. You know, they'd, they'd set up on either the right or the left side, doesn't matter which, but they would stay on one side and. They might do point to point, but they'd really like, you know, they would try to focus it on one side and try to, you know, basically try to smash their way through an easily defendable position. And I saw a lot more east west motion as far as where the puck was and where the players were. So, right. I hate to use a basketball analogy here, but it's definitely Phil Jackson's triangle offense that they were trying to implement. And you know what? This is hockey. <laughs> And yeah. uh, it's not a basketball game, and that doesn't work. We watched it, and it never, ever worked last year. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you, you had two guys that were doing nothing, and you had four defenders that were able to cover three guys pretty easily. So, Right. You're not kicking it to the weak side for a three-point <coughs> in hockey. It's just not the exactly. way it works. And, it, and, it, and when they did get it side to side, it was slow. Or it was it point to point, which is easy to cover. So it's just, you know, unless you're getting that east to west motion with both people and the puck, it's 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 incredibly difficult to score with a, a team that's collapsed down. So, Right. And speaking of collapsed down, we also saw defensemen closer to the play. Um, and we're just walking the blue line the whole time. We're seeing all five members contribute much closer yeah. to the net than I'm used to. Yeah, it was it was more of an umbrella rather than you know your standard three and two. Um, you know, I, and I watched a little. I, the rampage were trying to do that this weekend unsuccessfully, but you know I think that's going to pay off down there. But I, I think it's it's paying off big time for the Avs. So with with the power play talked about, do you did you notice what I noticed on the penalty kill? 
which and is like, that the back door is open almost constantly. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have that, though. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I haven't seen enough results, I guess, in a large sample size to make that determination. But uh, you trust your goalie there? Maybe? It's not just that. I mean, you trust that the fact that you're lining up three guys, you know, to prevent that east-west pass is going to work well enough that, that you're going to have time to adjust to the back door being open. Yeah. And, and that's sometimes not, that's going to work out, and then sometimes, a.k.a. goal one, it's not. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's something that I saw people saying, like, you know, when the Avs first start playing this way, this is something that you're going to have to watch out for. and. Right, and let's also acknowledge that goal one was a tier one grade A shot, too, by a really good player, Tyler Sagan. Yeah. I mean, that was squeezed through a hole. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I don't think the abs could have done much more. That wasn't on Varley or anything like that. That wasn't a bad goal. I mean, that that was just, you know, they, they did exactly what you would want to do to the abs when they're playing a PK like that. Right. I mean, he could have avoided the penalty. Yeah, I would have. Yeah. (laughs) 30 seconds into the game. God. Um, But so the the top power play line by time on ice was Colborne, McKinnon, and Landeskog. Um, And then with defensemen, it was mostly, you know, Eric Johnson. But there was kind of a smattering of everyone else. Um, Would you change anything about those three? On the top? On the top. Um, I mean, with with the effectiveness they had, they I mean, they generated two goals. So no, right. <laughs> uh, results speak for themselves. And and then we saw you know a couple of not so great moments on the penalty kill, but we also saw Landeskog and Bork Gabriel um, pushing play the other direction and putting Dallas on the power kill, which seemed very familiar. <laughs> I was kind of yeah. glad to see it go the other way. Yeah, that was nice. But so yeah. we're definitely seeing some very different things in the special teams world, um, as it's going to take longer to, to for everything they're doing differently at five on five to come out. You can notice the difference in special teams philosophy. Philosophy, yeah, really quickly. <laughs> um, li- what? Oh, I say I like seeing more prominent players in that penalty kill role. I think you know Gabriel Landeskog's what twenty two years old. You can play some penalty kill. Go for it. Gabe and Carl were the excellent penalty killers for Sweden at the World Cup. Excellent. So, keeping that going is fine by me. I've got my thumb up like we're on video, but thumbs up. (laughs) Um, But the big questions, I think, to look at the season moving forward, come to us from Jonathan Voigt and from Andrew Windermere, which are, respectively, um, is this vastly improved shot differential something that we can expect the team to sustain moving forward? And was that game an anomaly from Varley, or is he having another bad start to the season? As far as the shot differential goes, I mean, I'm not sure we make any determination at this point. I mean, Dallas was also outshot by Anaheim in their first game. And you know what? I mean, we consider these statistics and large sample sizes. I mean, uh, we can pick them apart as much as we want game by game, but they only mean something every 10 games. So... I'm more interested after tomorrow night against Pittsburgh, and uh, I hope it continues. <laughs> the, the, the Ducks are currently 
minus 16 score and venue adjusted in shots to the to the Islanders. Right. That's brutal. They're 80, 89 to 11% scoring chances. Oh my god. That's appalling. Um, so yes, this Ducks yeah. team outshot the Stars the other night. Yeah, I'm 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 much further down on the Stars than a lot of people are just mainly because of their goaltending and their d- defense. So um, so there's, I mean, there's no telling whether, I mean, are, are they going to outshoot everybody 52% every night with a 60% scoring chance advantage? No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're doing a lot of the right things by my eye to, to see those numbers come up the right direction. What do you guys think? I, what I really liked is, I, I don't know if you've seen, uh, Micah at ineffective maths charts. Yep. I love those. Yeah. But he has one called the shot tide and it, it gives a it's really hard to understand. And basically what it is, it's your shot rate laid on its side and back to back with your opponent. So it's, it's sort of, it sort of represents, you know, the flow of the game. If it's wide, it's exciting. If it's narrow, it's not, you know, if it's more on your side, that's awesome. And if it's more on their side, that's bad. Um, the abs didn't sit back. They didn't turtle, even though it looked like it a little bit later in the third. But they had a, you know, they, they kept going in that game. Um, they came out pushing in the third. They, like, doubled their shot advantage in the third before yeah. before they got about halfway through. And when you consider that, that Colburn's uh, goal, which was the, the fifth goal of the game for the Avs, and that made it 5-2, that, that happened halfway through the game, or, or even before. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it's easy to say that last year, well, that, you know, they would have flatlined, but they didn't. And, you know, that's really nice to see um, that they kept wanting the puck down at the other end, that they didn't try to collapse and just ride it out, that they were, you know, they were hungry for more and they kept it up. I'll so give I, you I a think much... that bodes well for the future as far as, you know, keeping the, the shot metrics up where we want to see them. I'll give you a much more simple metric that uh, gives me positive thoughts going forward, and that's offensive face-offs. And if you look at the charts from last night, there are only a handful of Avalanche that finished with below 50% offensive face-offs. This team is carrying the puck forward, and the puck is stopping in the opponent's end as opposed to their own. And that is a complete turnaround from last year. And if you want to get shots... Start in your their end. Start, or don't start in your own end. I mean, that's as simple as it gets, really. I mean, we've got players like Tyson Berry who had, you know, <laughs> like 84%, you know, offensive zone starts. I mean, granted, that is favorable starts, but, you know, the entire team was above 55% for the most part. And that's yeah. just unheard of during the Patrick Waugh era. Yeah, and that's higher than their shot rate, too. So, I mean, some of that's going to be other things. Not just the uh, shot production. That's like play in general. Right. What were the scoring chances, finally? I, I never looked at them after the, the second intermission. The scoring chances, according to Natural Stat Trick, um, and this is score venue adjusted, so let me get it back out to this 5v5, um, was 20 to 13 in favor of the Avalanche. Yeah, that's nice. Four in the first, eight in the second, eight in the third, versus three, five, and five. That's 
that's more than nice. That's outstanding. I mean, because scoring chances, you'll remember, are shots in the home plate area, um, shots on the rush, rebound chances, those kinds of high-danger things. Yeah, I mean, and, and last year it might have been something like 8 4 4 4 in the third, you're crazy. Um, they, w- they would have gotten one when a puck bounced off of somebody's leg with Duchesne on the ice and he took off after it. Right. Um, but that's the, the scoring chances for is just a remarkably it, – it, it's a remarkable difference. I don't really know how else to put it. Yeah, I mean, we, we need to see this team against the Stanley Cup champion here on Monday. But so far, so good. Right. Um, so as for what we think about Simeon Varlamov going forward. Well, he's getting a night off. He is. And that'll be uh, Calvin Pickard on Monday. Do you think that was in the plan, or do you think they had a plan, or how do you, how do you all see that as as developing. I suspect well, that Calvin Pickard was going to get a game Monday or Tuesday mm-hmm. and that it was going to be, you know, coach's decision, which one and the outing that Varley had last night forced his hand. Yeah. Yeah. I'd even say there's more to it. I think that they want him to start against Washington, you know, even for crazy, you know, uh, used to be his own team reasons. I mean, it's not like, I mean, you know, either one of those teams are going to kill you. So Right. <laughs> those are both very strong teams, especially offensively. Yeah. But but the narrative in Washington is, you know, an interesting one for sure. Is uh, Crosby back from yet, by the way? Is he still sitting in the dark? I mean, I know he's practicing. I don't know if he's, you know, cleared to play or not. Yeah, I don't know that either. I haven't read it. Um, do you think it would be a good thing if he played? or I mean, do you think coming back, you know, first game of the year, first game after a concussion, you know, do you think he'd be a liability in the first game? Crosby at 75% is still better than most of the league at 100%. Yeah, no, <laughs> Crosby like off the ice because he suffers concussion symptoms again is uh, really, really bad for that team. Yeah, it is. And I think he could take another week off and – it'd be better for that team through the rest of the season. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate for the league too. Cause I mean, we as fans don't get to miss more time of Crosby's prime. Right. I mean, as an avalanche fan, I want this team going up against their best players. I want to see them go head to head and I want to see the avalanche beat their best players. Yeah. I mean, I hate to trivialize the, the games in October, but you know, it, I'm not really concerned by some losses right now. If they're, you know, if, if they're able to find out things that they need to know that are going to help them in, in January, February, March. Especially considering how slow they started last year. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we are proving through that that it does does not matter all that much. And the year before that, they started super slow. So I mean, right. Every Old game coach. counts equally, but if you put yourself in a giant hole at the beginning, that's not doesn't bode well. No. Well, it's just it, it's. It's the difference between finding things incrementally and finding out 15 games into the season that nothing that you tried to do throughout all the summer and all training camp is working and you have to start at square one. Right. Right. And, and well, that's not going to happen. So, yeah, the, you know, if they have some setbacks now, it's not huge. 
Right. They're playing in the Eastern Conference. There's some playoff teams from last year that will be taking a step back, uh, namely Detroit. And uh, that's it's not like they're playing in the Western Central Division. I mean, you can afford a 10-game stretch if you need it. Yeah, the East is going to be really fascinating this year just to see who hoovers up those bottom spots. That's um, right, obviously. But I, this has just been a really um, appropriate of our current climate in the country right now that no one wants to answer this question. Will, what is going on with Varley this season? Does anyone want to make a prediction on good or bad? Like how, how he ends up the season? Yeah. Cause, I mean, goalies are voodoo. We'll grant that. This is about a 25% confidence prediction, but what would you think? I'd almost rather try and answer whether that it matters if he's got to be, you know, 927 Varley. Okay. Um, I, I don't think he needs to be as, as fantastic as he had to be three years ago uh, to get the abs where they need to be, which for right now, you know, we're saying wild card spots. Um, you know, that's... That's the baby step. Um, I, 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 I honestly don't know because it's you know I don't want to call him a head case, but it's just you know he, he just seems to have. He's a goalie. Very... You can call him that. <laughs> it's almost a compliment. Yeah, <laughs> he, just, he has very inconsistent, you know, I don't know, mentality. Um, I'm not going to say effort, but it's just you know. Sometimes what he does works, and sometimes it doesn't. And there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to it. Yeah, you know what though, hockey is inconsistent, and that's why you can't judge last night on its own. I mean, you yeah. need to see it over a span of ten games. Like, oh well, now he shut out the next two teams. I'm like, what are you gonna say? Like, is he that goalie? No, he's somewhere in between. And I, like you said, he doesn't have to be nine twenty seven Barley to be an effective goalie for this Colorado Avalanche team, I think he could be the 918 goalie. And uh, I think that's probably what he ends up at, just uh, because of the nature of hockey, the nature of the Central Division. Um, he's got a tough job. But he's playing one of the best offensive teams in all of the NHL last night. Right. And a couple of those goals were on the power play. So um, I will add that I'm a little bit nervous just because he started slowly the last couple of seasons with the team having opening months that just tanked the whole season. So I'm, a, I'm nervous to see that kind of performance again. Um, and, if, and if it continues, then we will see more of Calvin Pickard, no doubt in my mind. Well, and plus, you know, I think last year his groin was never right. And it definitely wasn't right at the beginning of the year. And now he's healthy, so... Yeah. But he's been sharp through preseason. It's definitely too early to go start calling for Pickard to start. Um, but, I mean, we def I do see an early season pattern developing, and I want him to put a stop to it. Right. I see indications of a 50-50 split until he can warm up into that <coughs> mid-season form goalie. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think we're all fairly confident in his backup. Hope so. Yeah. I mean, we haven't seen Calvin yet this year. He may be a totally different guy. He may be Dominic Hoshik now. Yeah. He, he may be Jonas Gustafsson. Well, I mean, it's, you know, I, I hate to put it this way, but it's 
you know, it's in the Avs' best interest for Pickard to take his job. Yes, it is. Yeah, so it is. Um, you know, I, I I hate it for him, but that's what I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't wish ill on him, and I don't wish ill on the team, you know, as far as what that would do to them in the standings if that actually happened. But, you know, it's in the Avs' best interest for Calvin to get a lot of starts and show that he can be the starting goalie next year. Right, and offer him a long-term contract that makes sense for the team that's less than Varlamov's $6 million. Well, Calvin's signed for next year. They don't even have to think about that until way right. after they get all this money off of the, you know, off of their uh, salary cap. And oh, then true. you don't give him a long-term contract because he's a goalie. <laughs> and you don't do that. Right, unless you're, you know, Carey Price. And, right. and then you don't do it because he's injured. Carey Price, Henrik Lundqvist, your, your freaks get an exception. Well, I mean, what if the you know what what if their save percentages are, are very similar, yet Calvin's like every night the nine eighteen guy, and, and Varley's eight sixty and nine forty, and it just <laughs> averages out to to nine eight. So if Varley pulls a red Obera, <laughs> or if he just basically be you know is your average goalie, that's one thing that that Calvin seems to have that that Varlamov doesn't, and and that's consistency. Well, more consistency as far as goalies go. Uh, right, he does seem to have that even-headedness that Varlamov does not have. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's you, you look at Calvin's curriculum vitae. He's he played for a team that that let him see you know sixty seventy shots a night in Seattle. Played for the Monsters for three years when they were just awful, and he saw lots of shots every night. It's just he, you know he's unflappable and yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong he has the best celebrations in the league but that's not affecting his goaltending <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's just an adorable celebrator after a shootout eh he's yeah. just photogenic man what a kid <laughs> but yeah he's a battler and and nothing affects him and i really like that you know i, I think that's one thing that, that patrick had as, as far as how he evaluated players on the team is, is he had that warrior mentality and, and just, you know, he, he didn't back down and, and he never got flapped. Uh, so, so I think the yeah. final answer to both of these questions, uh, to the possession question, the shot question and the Varley question is watch more games. We'll see you together. Yeah. But the, uh, specifically, Damn that word. Um, sp- 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 in particular, the shot question, we, we see a lot of evidence that it's going in the right direction based on what they're doing on the ice. Right. Next week's show, we'll know a little more because they will have played the President's Trophy winner and the Stanley Cup champion. So <laughs> They'll have played all the good teams in the East from last year. Right. I mean, the best thing that we know is that, that it, it can work in one game. And that's, you know, that's what you need to know. Yeah. If it can work in one game, it can work every game. You know, every game as far as as consistent as any team is in the National Hockey League. But you know, what what it, it basically shows is that the system has the potential to work for the Avs, and that it, you know it's going to improve them if they use it correctly. Right, and they're going to get better at it too. Yeah. Yes, that's key. Grow. I mean, we heard some uh, interesting observations from our friend AJ. You know, at practice today that. You know, you would not have expected this to have been a team that won last night. 
I mean, uh, the coach was all over them about being inconsistent within the system, and uh, he has higher expectations still. Yeah, I mean, it's we heard that he was very detail oriented, and I, I love seeing that. Yeah, and that's a lot of the things that we talked about right off the hop, where they're still doing some of the punting, some of the uh, passing decisions still aren't, you know, optimal. But there's obviously work to be done, and it's good to see the team not going, hey, victory, that's the only stat that matters, we're going to move ahead and assume that we're good. Right. It's good to get into that process mindset, as opposed to uh, outcomes. And I know it's projecting, but I would imagine that whether they won last night had no effect on what he wanted to do in practice today. Yeah. You know, it, it's just he saw details that needed to be addressed and addressed them. It's it's nothing to do with how well they played the night before. I mean. Right. They got tougher challenges ahead. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like at midnight that victory went off the books and you're on to the Penguins. So um, as we do look ahead to next week, a little bit of news. Obviously, we've already talked about Pickard starting on Monday, Varley on Tuesday. Um, John Mitchell will not be on this road trip due to his injury. Please stop talking about trading him. We need him back. It'd be nice for sure. That fourth line needs John Mitchell. I agree. We, would, we, could, use, uh, we, we could use him hanging onto the puck. And continuing to hang on to the puck. It's fine. Possession. I mean, we, yeah. Promise. Then the team doesn't have it. It's good. <laughs> I mean, we haven't seen Smooth Johnny since the, the Burgundy and White game. Right. So we don't know how he fits into the system. It, you know, it's, it's a total wild card. Um, yeah. Do you think he's better than Ben Smith as a third line center? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of that, I mean, a, a question that we got from several sources today was when Miko Rantanen comes back, whenever that may be. Obviously, you were telling me before the show, Earl, that we don't know, that they're not giving us any hints at all. But where does he slot in? Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I would see him on the third line, uh, probably at center. Yeah. Um, and have him get used to playing in the NHL and being productive at the NHL level. I mean, you know, he's got an imaginary awesomeness out the wazoo, but, you know, he still hasn't proven anything. So it's like, you know, he needs to play 14, 15 minutes a night and just get back to, you know, get, get the awesomeness level up to where the imaginary awesomeness level is. And then we can start taking him back, talking about him taking Iggy's place or futzing around with the, the top six or whatever. You know, I agree with the third line part entirely. Uh, the center part, I think, is where a lot of people are confused right now because I think they imagine Miko Rantanen being a wing on this team going forward. And he's been playing almost exclusively center since the midpoint of last year. Yeah. He's, he, I mean... He he played center even before this point, but from uh, late January on, he was you know listed at center and took all the draws for his lines. Um, but you know, I mean, he's a good center. He likes playing center. He said that. You know, it's it's not like this is a burden that's thrust upon him or anything like that. 
Um, right. I don't think it's far-fetched to imagine him being Carl Soderbergh one day. Not at all. And he's one thing I went back and looked at recently when he switched to center, you know, on the books, his shot production jumped up 50%. I saw um, you mention that the other day. That's that was interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, he was pretty consistent just over 2 a game and that went up to over 3 a game. But better than that, it was more like he had way less games of zero shots. Right. So it, it it definitely leads you to believe he was more engaged with the play, more into the play and stuff like that. And, you know, you'd think so with a center handling the puck more. And, you know. Yeah. I haven't gotten yeah. to see him play center a lot. Um, you know, obviously those couple of games at the Avalanche when he played on the fourth line. But I don't have the fancy smanchy cable that uh, – Earl has there, so <laughs> I don't see him down in San Antonio. I saw him play at the Rookie Showcase, and to me, he looked extremely comfortable there. He was the best center on the ice. I mean, he grew up playing center. I mean, he just he right. switched to wing because he was playing in a men's league at age 16. Right. Um, and it was funny, the, the last two nights he's been playing on the wing on the power play. Hmm. Um, with this is just a dream line here. It's AJ Greer, JT Comfer, and, and Miko. Oh, uh, that's the, the imaginary awesome line. I mean, it's just wow. Um, but it just you know seeing like you know two nineteen year old kids and a rookie and Comfer playing that well. Um, you know, it's just it's fantastic to watch. So I mean, he's versatile. He'll he'll play wherever you put him and do well. But I just you know, there's just huge resistance to having that center by some fans and I, I don't I don't understand it yeah I think fans see what's coming down the pipe and like oh that won't be his eventual position but I'm not sure I agree with that mindset I think you play him where you need him and I think he'll eventually be better at wing have for having played center that's definitely true well it's just and look at look at where Matt Duchesne is in his career he can play both and be very effective at both. And that's a great thing to have is you basically have two centers on a line. Mm-hmm. Um, We're seeing that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, was, I was just about to say, I mean, I think like if you have sort of pairs you're thinking about as, as buddies on lines, if you had something that was like McKinnon and Duchesne and another guy, Landeskog and Soderberg and another guy, and Miko and Grigorenko and another guy. Which is what I, the modern NHL is. Oh, yeah, that's just fantastic. <laughs> so in the short term, we see him being probably third line with the dream yeah. being a Ginless spot. Right. Because right now I think he's an upgrade over Ben Smith. Uh-huh. And I think he could play with Martinson rather well. I mean, I think that line would be more effective with him on it. Yeah, I mean, that's not too much of a slide on Ben Smith. I think he's just in over his head. Right. Um, but we we need to find replacement for Jerome McGinley five on five sooner rather than later. You didn't yeah. like that breakaway, huh? I laughed. <laughs> I cried. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was really hoping. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you know, it, it was a little bit of a tough puck to handle, but you know, I was really hoping that he would be able to, to give a little bit more and maybe that's just not going to happen. I mean, 10 years ago, that's a shot a hundred percent of the time and a goal 80% of the time. Yeah. Like to see him not even be able to handle it for a shot was just like, Oh, okay. We're here now. 
I'll give him props for getting to it. How about that? <laughs> he split the D. Yeah. Yeah. Hustle play. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a way to use him effectively. Um, you know, they're just going to have to find that. You know, I'd give him a couple more games on that line. I'm not sure where else you put him right now. Um, I, mean, I don't think Miko coming up and taking his job is imminent within 20 no. games. It's definitely not happening this week because he didn't go on the trip with the team. So, yeah, Miko's with San, with San Antonio for at least another week and a half. Yep. Yeah, I mean the, the nice thing. The, the nice thing about San Antonio's schedule is he's going to get a week of practice with them this week. They play Friday and Saturday, and then they play in Texas on either Tuesday or Wednesday night, and then they're off uh, to Cleveland for a road trip. So right then is probably where they're thinking, okay, when the team goes on the road, then he can come back to Denver, and that's during the week that the Avs are off after this road mm-hmm. trip. So right, back to practice. You know, if, if he makes it through this week unscathed, that's that's pretty much a guarantee that he's going to be back with the Avs a week from Wednesday. Yeah, we've talked about this before. I think the schedule is really set up really brilliantly for Colorado's situation, both with the, with a new coach and with Miko Ranton in, in particular. Um, I almost tried to say specifically again and just couldn't get it out. I don't know what's going on. That's not a word I struggle with. Um, having this, you know, the long road trip, your your altitude, your elephant bullshit hour is going to go crazy over that, um, and the team building and all that stuff. But then to have their five days off right after that to say, all right, what happened? Let's break things down. Let's work on things. Let's let's pull in a new piece in Ranton and and bring it all together for the next home game. Right. Consider some new lines, uh, further implement the system and what you need to do. Um, I also thought the time before the start of the regular season was probably effective for this team. Yes, I agree. It was really painful for fans. Really painful. Yeah. But a week straight of practice with your roster consolidated uh, needed to happen for a new coach. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's like they designed it for a guy coming in with like two months to get a, a team put together. <laughs> it's almost like they knew. So looking ahead to next week, Colorado begin their Eastern Conference road trip, as of course is tradition. On Monday, things begin in Pittsburgh, a five-mountain start against the Penguins. Then the Avs travel to Washington on Tuesday to take on the Capitals, which is another five-mountain start. On Thursday, Colorado get a 5:30 game. That's a 30 game on Thursday against Tampa, and then finally they wrap up the trip on Saturday against the Florida Panthers, which is back at five o'clock Mountain. All games are on your primary altitude channel. Um, any predictions? I think they can beat Pittsburgh. Crosbyless. I mean, Phil Kessel's going to try to carry that team, but. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I think they can win that game. I think they lose to Washington. Yeah, <laughs> they could. The back-to-back's tough anyway. I think Varlamov's going to keep getting more heat. Fine, it's still early. That's, uh, that's a good team. You're not high on Varlamov, are you? <laughs> I I am, actually. I just uh, I foresee the media jumping on him after one more game where he gives up four goals, yeah. you know, and the team loses four to three. Yeah, whether it's his fault or not, if, if he gives up several in his next game, then you're going to have the uh, goaltender controversy. Right. 
I just I just don't want to read it in the media because it's two freaking games. Yeah. Two. Dater has that story written already. Oh. <laughs> Kizl is going to call for his head. <laughs> and Chambers will call him a diva basketball player. Right. Who would have been better off playing Division One NCAA hockey? Wait, that already happened. Oh, it did. Yeah. I don't <laughs> I don't know about the D one part, but the rest did. Oh. Right. Um. So I, I mean, I, predictions hard for this one. They, they could come home five and zero. They could come home one and four. Yep. Um, but I do think that they sweep Florida. Yeah. Huh. Florida looked okay early on. I, I think they sweep out through, through Tampa and Florida. I think they're going to have more of a trouble uh, in Pittsburgh and Washington. But I will give them. And um, I'll say no less than four points out of these four games, which is pretty acceptable. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking. I think they either get two or three wins. I, I, I agree that they'll they'll probably. I mean, they've 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 got a puncher's chance against Pittsburgh, um, and I think they'll beat Florida, and I think Tampa's a toss up. I don't think they have much chance against Washington, but you know, no. they could beat Washington and lose to the other three. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go ahead and predict four points. I'm going to predict five. I think one of those is an overtime. Nice. I've never predicted an overtime win and have it happen. And <laughs> honestly, the Avs are just—they're not that good in overtime. I mean, they're—they're they're so good in overtime that they just don't get the loser points. So. Well, I mean, they—they sh- they should be, but if you don't win the opening faceoff, you have to then get the puck first. Right. And that's not right. always easy. Yeah, whole new season though, Earl. Whole yeah. new season. They could just get loser points out the wazoo again. I guess I don't know, but right. Um, they look pretty damn good in the preseason in three on three. Yeah, I can uh, watch. I can watch Gabe Landeskog score overtime game winners every game. <laughs> Power Deeks. That was so fun. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean, a 500 road trip, you know, is a good road trip every time. So let's go out there and get those four points. Let's get that fifth if possible. But, you know, let's be happy with a team that's still adjusting to its new coach against NHL competition with a roster that is not quite complete in the bottom six. And let's just break even here before a nice homestand. Yeah. I know, I know it's a really dumb thing to say, but they need to lose a couple games so they have stuff that is right. working that they need to figure out how to fix. Yeah, let's yeah. not understate that Jared Bender is yet to lose with the Colorado Avalanche. Ever. Ever. It's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think that's, you know, that might have been the start of the downfall for Patrick is that they were just too successful right off the bat. Yeah. Right. And it just, you know, I don't blame him totally, but it just—it's hard to find fault with when you're winning. You like, know? What are you going to say to the guys? Like, well, you know, you need to change lines better. I mean, it's just—you know—you you don't want to muck around with a team that's winning. So it's there's not a lot you can really change, especially with Patrick's, you know, the way Patrick ran his system. Oh, but that wasn't even just Patrick. I mean, you could tell in in the off season moves that the team really. The, the, the words that were covered, the teams really believed didn't exist. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's just bring in Jerome Aginla, and that'll get us over the top. Yeah. <laughs> Add some veteran veteranness. Let's make sure Brad Stewart's here as long as possible and sign him to an extension. Brad Stewart's a great guy. Let's pick him up. Yeah, that went well. Good <laughs> locker room presence. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, puppy. Um, I guess we're bumping up against the dog's time limit. <laughs> he doesn't like Brad Stewart. That's the signal. <laughs> the dog doesn't like Brad Stewart. I'm I'm looking forward to the day when we can survive without talking about him. Honestly, it's getting close, guys. It's, he's uh, this is his buyout year, right? Right. So we're still paying for it. We just don't actually have to witness it anymore. Yeah, that's that's the fun part. You gotta wonder what the guy's doing right now. He's sitting up in he's from Alberta. Didn't get a phone <laughs> call for any camp. Probably flipping yeah. hot dogs, playing with yep. his family. Yeah. Enjoying no, getting paid money for free. Over. Yeah. <laughs> Hanging out with Roby Da. all right so we are we're all pretty much on the fence on every game for this week so that's good (laughs) no no one printed anything solid so i like i like it i'll go with six points yeah that's not true we we all pretty much expect four points the first two games to go less well than the second two games i think so right that's that's at least somewhat solid but no matter how that turns out, you know, you can find out here. You can always catch the uh, newest Avs news and updates on milehighhockey.com or you can follow on Facebook at facebook.com slash milehighhockey or on Twitter at milehighhockey. You can keep up with the podcast on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast or if you prefer on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast. And then you can, you know, grab that RSS feed and load it up into your favorite RSS catcher and it'll just munch that right on down into your favorite you know, device, whatever whatever phone you're hooking it up into. If you're on a computer, obviously you want to load that up in iTunes and get them automatically. In the meantime, we will see you next week. Keep your head up, get to the dirty areas, and uh, hopefully we've got eight points to talk about. Later. <laughs> Man, I wish I had a root beer on hand. I could pull a Steph. I don't even drink root beer anymore. Oh, yeah, I quit. It's a bad habit.